Well, if you'll open your Bibles today to Mark chapter 11, I want to talk to you about faith. Now, that is the most important thing that you have in your life is faith. The Bible says, of course, that we cannot be saved without faith. You can't go to heaven without faith. In fact, it even says in Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's say that together. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so your faith is the conduit. It's the thing that connects you and God. And it's extremely important. In fact, the Bible says that your faith is more important to God or more precious to God than gold that perishes. So God values your faith more than He values anything else in your life. It is so very important. So that's what I want to think about today. Now, faith is one of those things in our culture that we hear. We hear that word thrown around a lot. You'll hear people say, maybe a politician will say this during campaign season, or maybe a celebrity will say this. Something goes like they'll say, a lot of times when I'm going through difficulties, I just rely on my faith. And that sounds so good to say, I rely on my faith. But you don't know what that means. Are they relying on their Christian faith, their Jewish faith, their Buddhist faith, their Muslim faith? What in the world? Somebody says, well, I just rely on my faith. And we just all say, well, isn't that sweet? Well, did you know in the Bible, you'll never find a verse that says you should rely on your faith. Even if your faith is a Christian faith, even if your faith is in Christ, sometimes you'll hear Christians say, I rely on my faith. Well, I want you to know, I don't rely on my faith. I rely on the object of my faith, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that our faith many times is small. It is weak. It is wavering. Why would we want to rely on something like that? Whereas God is strong. He's unmoving. He's unchanging. And so when our faith is in our own faith, we're shaky. We're weak. But if we can get our faith into God, then we will have strong faith. And that's why the title today is The Secret to Strong Faith. Now, in Mark chapter 11 and in verse number 22, Jesus said four very interesting words. Notice what they are. He said, have faith in who? In God. Not in your faith or in yourself, but he said, have faith in God. Take whatever faith you have. Some of you here today have big, strong faith. Jesus says, put that in God. Others of you today have little bitty mustard seed faith. Jesus said, that's okay. Put that in God. Take whatever faith you have. Faith is like money. If you put it in the right place and keep it there long enough, it will grow. And so if our faith is in God, if it is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it will grow. And so as we think about strong faith, the secret to strong faith, first of all, we have to have it in the right object. Now, let me chase down a little side road. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my seminary professors said that, he said, men, when you're up there preaching, don't chase rabbits. And... Uh, and then he went on to say, but I must confess, in my preaching, I chase rabbits. He said that of himself. He said, if a rabbit has a little bit of meat on its bone, I'm going to chase it. So I want to chase a little rabbit with a little meat on its bone. Here's what will help you to determine whether your faith is in Jesus Christ or not. If you were to die today and step out into eternity and stand before God, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer that question? The answer that you would give to that question reveals what your faith is in. 
Some people would say, if God asked him that question, well, God, I've certainly not been perfect, but I've tried to be good, good to my family. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to live by the golden rule, keep the Ten Commandments. I've just tried to live a good life. What that person is saying is that his faith, that person's faith, is in himself. What he would really be saying to God is, God, you should let me into heaven because of how well I have lived my life. Some people might say, well... God, I should go to heaven. You should let me into heaven because I have been a faithful member of my church. And what that person would be saying is, Lord, it's, it's my church membership. That's what I'm trusting. But if God were to ask you that question and you said to God, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. The only reason that I should be allowed into heaven is because I have repented of my sins, asked Christ to forgive me, and I am trusting in Jesus Christ. And in him alone for the forgiveness of my sins. God would say to those angels, open wide the gates and let him in. Because your faith is in Jesus. So that question helps us to understand what we're trusting or who we're trusting. And to be saved, to be a Christian, we have to transfer our faith from ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. And if we put it in him and keep it in him, not just for our salvation, but for everything we face, then our faith will grow. And as our faith grows, we'll be stronger, we'll have more peace, we'll be better witnesses, we'll, we'll endure better during hard times if we have strong faith in God. But not only do we need to have our faith in the right object, we need to understand as much about that object as we can. In other words, the more you know about God, the more your faith will grow. For example, if you believe that God is your provider, you're not going to worry very much about money. If you believe that God is your protector, you're not going to worry so much about somebody hurting you. If you believe that God is your healer, you're not going to spend too much time worrying about sickness and disease. If you believe that God is sovereign and that God is in control, you're not going to worry about bad things happening or circumstances going bad. You're going to just trust in the Lord because you know He is sovereign and He's in control of everything. So the more you can know about God, the more your faith will grow. So that leads to this question, how do we learn about God? How does God teach us about Himself? Well, the primary way is right here through the Bible. When you read your Bible, every day when you read your Bible, you're going to learn something about God. I was reading mine early this morning at home, and I was reading in Luke chapter 7 about a story of where Jesus was going through a particular village, a little town, and they were having a funeral. A young man had died, and the pallbearers were carrying his, co his coffin, his casket to the cemetery, and his mother was right there in the middle of all this, and she was heavy-hearted. She was very sad. In fact, the Bible says that she was a widow, so she had lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. And one of the verses this morning said that I read, it said, When Jesus saw that lady, he was moved with compassion. And it seemed like several of the things in my, just in my normal reading, I wasn't looking for sermons, just my own quiet time. I was reading about the compassion of Jesus. And Jesus put his hand on that coffin and the pallbearers stopped the procession to the cemetery. Jesus spoke to that boy who had died and said, rise, stand up. And the boy sat right up, right in his casket, started talking. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And so Jesus is very compassionate. And so if you understand that, that Jesus is full of compassion, that means that you, you, you understand He knows everything about you. Think about this. If you believe and you understand that God is always with you, then you're not going to struggle with loneliness. 
How could you struggle with loneliness if you're never alone? How could you struggle with loneliness if Jesus Christ is not only with you, but he is living in you? I was thinking about that just a bit ago. Think about if you're saved, the person of Jesus Christ who created this whole world is living in you. And so if he's living in you, and when you leave here in a few minutes and go home or back to work or wherever you go, you know that Christ is with you and in you, you can't be lonely because you're not alone. You have Jesus with you. So one of the ways that God teaches us things like that, and I think the primary way that God teaches us about himself is as we just read and study the Bible, we go to church, we go to Sunday school, we listen, we learn, we're learning about God. But another way that God teaches us about himself, not just from the Bible, that's the main way, but God also teaches us about himself through the experiences of life. Haven't you noticed that in your life, that when you go through an experience, you learn something about God. And we tend to learn more in our valley experiences than we do up on the mountaintop. In other words, when we go through a time in life that is hard and confusing and difficult and painful, man, if we'll respond properly, if we'll turn to the Bible, turn to God in prayer stay committed to God, we're going to learn some things about God that can in turn change our life, strengthen our faith, develop our character, and make us into the people that He wants us to be. Now, what I wanted to do today in this message, by the way, you still listen, say amen. amen. What I want to do in the message today is to share with you about an experience I had back in 1992 and in 1993. Now, you do the math on that. That's been a long time. That's been 24, 25 years. And in the email we sent out yesterday, it said, I want to share with you one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had in my life. I may have oversold the sermon today when I said it that way. Because when you listen to this, you may say, well, that's not all that interesting. But, uh, and it may not really be all that interesting. But I think where I'm going with it at the end, hopefully, will be interesting to, uh, to you, of interest to you anyway. I, shared the, I have shared this a few t a time or two in the church. I don't think I've ever shared it at a Tuesday Bible lunch. If I have, I'm hoping you have forgotten it so that it will be fresh today as you hear it now. I don't think I've ever shared it here. But I graduated from Baylor in May of 1992, and I moved to Fort Worth, Texas three months later to begin my seminary education at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I had a wonderful experience. I, I felt like in, at seminary, I learned so many things about the Lord. I learned how to study the Bible better. I don't believe that a minister has to go to college or seminary. I don't think you have to do that to be an effective minister. I just know this. I could not have done it without it. I need all the help I could get, <laughs> and so I needed, I needed the, the formal education, and I use it just about every day. But when I moved to Fort Worth, I was 22 years old at the time, and seminary is very much different from college because in college, everybody's single, pretty much, and the college, the college life is very social. In other words, there's ball games to go to, people going to movies, people going bowling, people are hanging out in each other's dorms and apartments. Whatever you can say about the college years, you're never short on friends. I mean, they're there. They're available to you. But when I got to seminary, and a lot of that crowd was a little bit older than me, and even the ones who were my age, most of them were married, and I wasn't. 
And it was just a lonely time for me. And I had a hard time my first semester and really my first year in seminary. I had a hard time acclimating myself to that environment. I lived in an apartment right across the street from the seminary. I had a great professors, but I was very, I guess the word I would say for me, I was lonely. And I was going through, because of that loneliness, I felt isolated. I just felt I mean, I think you can be lonely and not have all that I had going. I, I felt totally like I was on an island. And it caused in my life a little, not severe, but a little mild depression, I think, would probably be what that would have been called. And in a, a very mild form of anxiety. Sometimes I hear people talk about anxiety. And when I hear their descriptions and then I think about anything I might have been through, I don't think mine... I, I, my heart goes out because some people's their, their anxiety is really, really bad. But I've tasted some of that, and I was going through that up there. I couldn't sleep very well. I lost about 20 pounds. I go to class. I could not concentrate in class. Only by the grace of God did I pass any of those classes that I was taking at that because I couldn't concentrate. I would read, and I would read a page. And I would say, I have no idea what I just read. Have you ever had that experience before? Have you ever had that experience? You go to church and you hear a sermon like this and it's over with. And you, ha- you say, I have no a- idea what the fellow said. Have you ever had that? Well, you know, a lot of times that's our fault, but not your fault. I heard about a man woke up one day and his, his wife woke up and she said, sweetheart, I'm sick. I can't go to church today. I just, I'm, I'm nauseated. I can't go. And he said, he didn't want to go. And he said, well, I'm going to stay home and be your nurse today. And she said, no, you're healthy. You need to go take the kid. You all go to church and come back home after it was over with. So he reluctantly went, sat through the service, came home. He didn't like the service. He didn't like the preacher. He didn't like anything about it. And the wife said to him, she said, well, what was the sermon about today? What did the preacher preach about today? And he said, I don't know. He never did say. (laughs) Well, I think in a lot of our sermons, we don't ever say what it's about. So, but anyway... My professors, I'm sure, were saying what it was about, but it wasn't registering with me because I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate, and I was really having a hard time. Well, in the second semester of that first year, January was hard, February was hard, Mar- March was... I'll I tell you how hard it was. I'm a big Cowboys fan. Now, I'm, now that we've shined... Have, we, I love J.J. Watt. Now we've got Deshaun Watson. I'm a Texans fan, too. I want to go ahead and say that on the record. I think the Texans are going to do well this year. But the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls back then, and I was a big fan. I had season tickets. My brother and I went to the game. I was so, whatever I was, I could not even enjoy watching those games. I was so restless. I think I was more restless than I was anxious. I had a hard time sitting down and watching a game for three hours. I had to be moving around. I was nervous. And so I was going through all these emotions, and I thought, God, I don't, I've never felt like this before. And that went on for about four months. And one night, and it was in April of 1993, on a Thursday night, I was leaving my apartment to go to the library to study. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I, was, I reached out my hand to open the apartment door to walk out. And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like God was speaking to me. I knew he was speaking to me. And I say one of the first times, because God had spoken to me before that, but this was so strong. And it was like God said to me, close the door, not audibly, but in my heart. Go back in your apartment, sit down, get a notebook, get a pen. 
I've got some things to say to you. I had never had an experience like that. And so I did. I sat down in my recliner chair. I, got, I, can, I, I wish I could remember where it is, but I had a little blue notebook. I got a pen. And it was like God said to me, for these last four or five months, you've been having a hard time. But I'm fixing to share some things with you, some reasons that I have allowed you to go through this difficulty. And I want you to write it down, and it's going to help put everything in perspective for you. And so I did. I sat down, and I wrote out six things. And I just began to think, now, God, what have you been teaching me during this desolate season of this valley experience in my life? What have you been teaching me? And so I just started writing, writing them down. And I got, I got six things, and I, I read over that list, and I began thinking about each one of them. I took quite a bit of time, and I thought, well, these, this, is, this, this is rich. This is life-changing. This is helping me understand more about God. It was kind of like a light came on to me, and it was like I felt like, well, this is the reason God has allowed me to go through this, because God is wanting me to learn these things. Remember what I said at the beginning. If your faith is in the right object, God, Jesus Christ. And then if you understand as much about God as you possibly can, the more you understand about God, the more your faith's going to grow. The more faith, the more your faith grows, the more peace you have, the more joy you have, the more contentment you have, the less anxious, nervous, restless you are. All that goes away. It may not go away immediately, but it begins to go away as you understand who God is. And that's what God was doing to me. He was teaching me who he was. Now, it's interesting. I look back on my three years at Southwestern, and those were three of the, ended up being three of the best years of my life. I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about a lot of things. The greatest thing I walked away from Southwestern Seminary with, and I had fantastic professors, lots of friends before it was over with, but the greatest thing I walked away from Southwestern Seminary with were those six things God had said to me on that Thursday night. This was in 1993. My father had become pastor of here of this church three years before that. And from time to time, he would be gone on a Sunday, and he would say, John, I want you to come down to Pasadena and preach. And, uh, and I always in, treasured those times, and it was an honor for me. And so I, two or three times a year, I would do that. And so I remember a few weeks after that experience, I came to Pasadena. And the way I have to preach, I always ha- I preach the Bible but I have to preach out of what's happening in my own life or else it's not, I mean, it has to be real for me. And so this was a, very, was a very real experience. And so I remember one Sunday night, I preached at the old location, title of my sermon, Victory in the Valley, Victory in the Valley. And at the end of it, I shared those six things that God had taught me. Well, in our church at that time was a man, he's in heaven now, his wife's still in our church, named C.L. Ellis, who was the chief of police for Pasadena Independent School District. Godly, godly man. And after that sermon, sometime after it, C.L. took those six points that I had made, got on his computer, and he typed out and made a little business card, and, and, and uh, we're going to be making those available to you today. But he made, and he gave those, he, he started passing those out to his friends. He gave me some copies of it. It was the first thing that I had ever preached that anybody had written up like that. It made me feel so good. And, uh, and it's the last thing, too. So, but anyway... <laughs> But, and I thought, wow, that is, that is really good. Well, it's interesting. My grandfather on my father's side died in about 2002. We called him Big Pop. 
And I think I may have shared this in here one day. I can't always remember where I shared a particular story. But my dad and his sister, my aunt, were going through some of my grandfather's stuff. You get this, I'll take this. You can have this. Okay, I'll take that. And somehow, my dad ended up with my grandfather's wallet. And he kept it. I didn't even know he had it. And he kept it, I guess, in his desk for about 10 years. And I guess two or three years ago, my dad came into my office, and he knows I'm pretty sentimental, and he said, John, I want to give you something. I said, well, well, I I want to receive it. What is it? And he said, I want to give you Big Pop's wallet. And I said, well, man, I appreciate that. And he gave it to me. And there's only three things in this wallet. First of all, there's my grandfather's driver's license, which Georgia driver's license. It's a $1 bill in here. That's why my dad gave me this wallet. It's got one buck, $1 bill in here. (laughs) If it had $100, he'd have kept it. But he gave it to me that had $1. And the third thing that my grandfather had in his wallet with him when he died in 2002 was a card that C.L. Ellis have made, had made <laughs> from a sermon I had preached in 1993. And I never knew Big Pop had one of these cards. I don't know how. He, I guess my dad gave it to him. But it evidently meant something to him because he put it in his wallet. And I, I think probably a part of the reason he did that, he had lost my grandmother. And I think it's always hard when a... Well, I know it's hard when you lose your spouse. And I think it can be especially hard for a man having... I mean, I think it's hard for both. I would never say, I mean, I think it's hard for both. But I think sometimes my observation is people have been married 50, 60 years. The wife dies. I think sometimes the husband has even a little bit harder time because of how much he depended on his wife. And that, I say that as a total tribute to women everywhere. And I know women have a hard time for different reasons too. But I think maybe the reason Big Pop had put that in his wallet because he had lost my grandmother. He had lost his health. He was in an assisted living facility. My granddad was a big strong man. He was in the Marine Corps, which helped understand my dad a little bit better, right? (laughs) My grandfather was a Marine. He raised my dad to be a Marine. I remember one time I said to Big Pop, I said, Big Pop, you used to be a Marine? He said, let me tell you something, Jonathan. Nobody used to be a Marine. I'm still a Marine. (laughs) Scared me to death, but uh, had that in his wallet. And I now keep that in my desk drawer. In my office here at church. Now, all that to say, I have, or I didn't do it, Cindy Johnson did it, but we have prepared for you a card. In fact, there are 10 cards on each table, so there should be enough for each of you if you want to take the extras and give them away to somebody. But I've simply called this Things to Remember in the Valley. And, you know, time always has a way of getting away from me when I'm up here preaching because I, lo- I love preach. I love this. And it just makes it go by faster. You say, well, John, the time doesn't go that fast when we're listening. But to you, is this. But anyway, I don't even have time today to tell you what the lessons are. But I printed them up on this card. These are the things that God revealed to me on an April Thursday night in 1993 in Fort Worth, Texas, in a little apartment, and uh, changed my life. And maybe one of these Tuesdays, When I'm up again, I'll just pick up here, and we'll just have a six-point sermon. How's that? And we'll just walk through this whole list, because this would be, or maybe, uh, I think in September I'm going to do a couple of these in a row. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll do half of these one thing, or I don't know. But anyway, whether I ever talk on this again or not, you take this home today, and you read over it, and you think about 
those times in your lives, and some of you may be going through it right now, where it just feels like the bottom has fallen out, and you're trying to figure out, God, why have you allowed this into my life? What are you saying to me? You begin reading over this, and it may be that God says to you, I'm saying the same thing to you in August of 2017 that I was saying to John in April of 1993. And here is what I want you to learn from this experience. And if you'll learn it, and I know many of you already know all those things and a lot more than I do, but if you'll learn that, your understanding of God will increase, your faith will increase, and everything about your life is going to get better. Amen? Father, take the message and seal it to our hearts today. Thank you for every person who is here. I I pray especially for those who may be going through their own valley right now. God, help them to know that you're still in control. Nothing is out of control if you're in control. And God, help them to know you've got a lot to show them and a lot to teach them and a lot of ways for them to grow at this time. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. amen and amen.